Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. In the passage that we're going to be looking at today, we witness God's sovereignty amongst suffering, and we see that no matter what trials or challenges life may throw at us, we can trust in God's unwavering goodness. No human or earthly obstacle can disrupt God's ultimate purposes for humanity. Now, I'm going to be throwing around the word sovereign or sovereignty a lot today, so I thought it was important to start with a definition for you, because it's not exactly a word we use outside of church circles, apart from maybe if you were referring to a sovereign like a king or a queen. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God, what we mean is that God is the ruler of the universe. He doesn't answer to anyone, nor is bound by anything. He is the Lord over all creation. He is in control over all things and has power and authority over nature, over history, over angels, over demons and earthly rulers. In Colossians 1 verse 15 to 17, it says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In First Chronicles 29, verse 11, King David says this about God, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as, his, as head above all. What a mighty and powerful God we serve. Amen. And we're going to get a glimpse of that power in our passage today. But the reality is that we do live in a broken world, and suffering does exist. So how do we reconcile the sovereignty of God with that? Because naturally that raises a lot of questions, right? And so before we launch into this, I would love to take a moment to pray for us and over us, that our hearts would be ready to receive what God has for us today, and that the eyes of our heart would be open to see God rightly, and that we would have a fresh understanding and revelation of his character, and that ultimately he would draw him closer to himself, draw us closer to himself, rather. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over all. God, we ask that as we explore this topic and your word today, that you would soften our hearts to receive your truth, and that you would continue to shape us and mold us to be like you. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, and that your word, your good news, would change hearts today. God, as we sit in the heaviness and the hope of the Christmas story, would we know your peace? We love you, Lord. Would you come and have your way in us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm not going to lie, thinking about speaking God's sovereignty both excited me and terrified me, because this is one of the topics that raises some of the most common questions asked about Christianity. And so I think if we can wrestle with this concept and come to terms with it, it changes the way we live. And I don't mean that lightly. It changes how we view negative circumstances, how we view our fear of the future, how we live out our days, etc. If we truly believe that God is sovereign, then following God isn't just a phase when things are going well, but it is a commitment that we choose today and for the rest of our days. A commitment that requires us to trust God's leadership and remain confident in the promises he has made to us, even when we are led through hardship and suffering. So today as we explore this big topic, which is probably one of the fundamentals to faith in Jesus, I ask that you wouldn't shy away or retreat or switch off because it seems hard or uncomfortable, but that you would lean in further to what God may be wanting to do in you. 
because our Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, our King, our Saviour, our friend, he is good and he is sovereign in both the sweet times and the suffering. So with that being said, are you ready? Are you with me? Are you up for the challenge? Cool. All right. We're going to be reading in Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23 today. So jump there in your Bibles or on your devices. It says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Whew, there's a lot going on here, right? We see Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, having a divine encounter with a spiritual being in a dream, where the angel says that their precious son, the one prophesied to save the world from their sins, the much-awaited Messiah, is being hunted. People are seeking to take his life. Scholars debate how old Jesus is at this point in the story, but they estimate that Jesus wouldn't be any older than two years old at the most. When we continue reading, we see that Joseph then responds with incredible obedience and immediacy to his encounter with the angel. And that night, he gets up and flees with his young wife and his son to Egypt. Jesus's life on earth has barely begun, and already he is an evil ruler trying to hunt him down and has to flee his home, becoming a refugee in Egypt. Even as a baby, a toddler, Jesus' life is met with opposition. And God continues to guide and prepare the way for Jesus, fulfilling incredible prophecies in the process. But amongst the miracles and the angelic messages, we have great sorrow and suffering as we see what scholars refer to as the massacre of the innocents. Herod was the king or the ruler of Judea at the time, and he was given the title, the King of the Jews, by the Roman Senate, but was much more of a Roman ruler than a Jewish one. Herod was a paranoid man, as Daryl mentioned last week, and the other historical texts that um, exist from the time suggest that he had been known to kill family members and other people close to him out of fear of losing the throne. So naturally, when Herod learned of the birth of a child that people were calling the King of the Jews and, said that, and they said was the Messiah, he did what seemed like the logical next best step, and he sought to eliminate this threat to his rule. As we heard last week, Herod then sent these wise men, the Magi, to Bethlehem to scope out the supposed king of the Jews so that he could kill him. But the wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and wisely they obeyed. 
When Herod realized that he had been played, he was furious. And since he didn't know where Jesus was, he decided he'd just wipe out every baby boy who was two and under that lived in Bethlehem. As we read and digest that, I want to acknowledge the fact that this is probably a passage that may be confronting for a lot of you as it was for me. If I'm honest, this topic has felt really hard and heavy for me as I think about the myriad of heartbreaking, heartbreaking circumstances happening in the world around us. And maybe this feels heavy for you too when we consider what people around us or maybe ourselves may be going through. Maybe some of you read that text and you go, wow, isn't God's sovereignty amazing? Look at how he so beautifully orchestrated the life of Jesus to protect him and fulfill prophecies made of him many years before his arrival. But maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've had an internal response that was much more similar to mine when I read the passage for the first time. And that was, but God, what about those children? When we see suffering like in this passage, we begin to ask questions like, is God really good and just? Surely a good God wouldn't allow things like this to happen. And so as I've been praying about and studying this passage we'll be looking at today, I think it's important right off the bat to address the duality of the text or the tension that we find in it. As we've read, there is pain, but there is also peace. There is grief, but there is also evidence of God's goodness. And there is suffering, but there is also protection of the light of salvation. And maybe when you read this text, it raises feelings of frustration or anger for you as you see what appears to be the lack of action or justice from our God. How could he let things like this happen when so many people are hurting or grieving and facing the harsh reality of living in a broken world? But my challenge to you and to me today is that if we truly believe that our God is sovereign, we have to trust him not only when things are going well, but also in suffering too. One of my favorite poets is a Christian author named Strawn Coleman, and he has suffered with chronic illness for years and has sat and has wrestled with this idea of God's sovereignty amongst suffering. And so I wanted to read you a little excerpt from his book called Beholding, because I thought he worded it so well. He says this, During those years, meaning when he was really sick, my life with God became about watching him, watching life, and accepting who he is, even when he offended me by not healing, not changing, not providing, and not answering. God never did tell me why I went through what I did, or why he felt quiet all those years. But he did tell me that he loved me, and I learned to accept that as enough. My need to know and understand what God was doing in my life in order to trust and admire him was dethroned. I began to live God and trust his goodness aside from the chaos of my life, aside from the good things too. I'll say that last part again. My need to know and understand what God was doing in my life in order to trust him and admire him was dethroned. I began to live God and trust his goodness aside from the chaos of my life, aside from the good things too. And I love what Strawn says here because it means I don't have to understand God or his ways to completely trust him. It means we can look at our broken world or a passage like this, which has the death of precious babies, but also the almighty hand of God on the savior of the world. And we can say confidently that although we don't get why things had to happen this way, God is still worthy, he is still good, and he is still in control of it all. And so I hope today as we sit both in the heaviness and the hope that this passage of scripture displays, that the realness and the humanness of the Christmas story would come alive to you, that we would see our Jesus, even as a baby, as someone who saves, but who also meets us in our suffering. 
My hope today is that as we watch the glory of heaven meet a broken and hurting world, that we would know our God is sovereign and that he is good. With that being said, there's two important things I want us to address today. Firstly, the question of if God is sovereign, then why is there suffering? And secondly, I want to look at the beautiful way that God writes history and orchestrates the story and life of Jesus. So firstly, it's a big one. If God is sovereign, then why is there suffering? This is probably one of the most commonly asked questions when people explore Christianity, and I want to make the distinction clear that we can answer why there is the overarching idea of suffering or of sin in our world. However, I cannot give an answer to specific situations of suffering and why God would allow those. Let me explain what I mean. If you didn't know already, our world was never supposed to be like this, with all this disease and suffering and death. God's design or for humanity was perfect, and we see glimpses of this, right? For example, we have joy, we feel love, we have the beauty of creation and creativity. Out of the overflow of his love, God created an earth filled with wonder and of intricate details, and then he filled this with all sorts of cool creatures, and then with Adam and Eve, the first people. When God created these first people, he made them with the ability to choose, to love and to follow God, or to not. Unfortunately, these first people, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against God's perfect design and went their own way, and we call this sin. Sin is what led to the brokenness not only in our world, but also in us as humans. And since those very first people, we humans have been trying to do life our own way, apart from God, living in brokenness and separation from our Creator. The story continues, and I'll get to that soon, but that's how suffering entered the picture. But something still doesn't quite add up. If God is good, that means that he is pure and he's holy and that he hates evil. But as we've touched on already, he is also sovereign in that he is all-powerful and could conquer anything and anyone that challenges him. And this here is where we encounter the problem because if God is good, as we say he is, then he would want to do something about the sin and the suffering we find in our world. But if he's truly sovereign, then he would follow through in that goodness and he would eliminate suffering and evil for good. So how do we reconcile that? Well, in some ways, we don't. We have to live in the tension of suffering and sovereignty and choose to believe that there is a God and that he is good and sovereign, but who allows suffering in our world for a season and for his greater purpose. And I know that isn't an answer that feels good or neat or tidy, and that's okay because we shouldn't be okay with evil and suffering that we see in the world. And no matter how hard we try, our finite brains will never understand the complexity of God. And I know I've probably just opened a whole can of worms and a myriad of questions will probably start to pop up for you. So before we move back to the Christmas story, I'll answer just a few. Firstly, suffering is not created or is caused by God. When God created those first people, as we talked about, Adam and Eve, he gave them the choice to love him, which means he also gave them the ability to go the other way, to not follow God or to not love him. So though God did not create evil, he did create the potential for evil. But God in his sovereignty knew that this was going to happen, but he chose to let the story of creation continue anyway, knowing the good that would one day come of it. So if God doesn't create or cause suffering, then who does? Well, in a roundabout way, we do, as a result of sin and evil and the enemy. Most of the suffering we see in our world is caused by us humans, 
It is estimated that as much as 90% of the suffering in the world comes through human causes such as war, genocide, human trafficking, torture, abuse, discrimination, the list goes on. God didn't want any of this, and the suffering breaks his heart. He sees our suffering, though, and he is compassionate and grieves with us. Isaiah 63 verse 9 says, In all their affliction, he, meaning God, was afflicted. Psalm 31 verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. Psalm 34 verse 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Our God does not delight in the suffering of his creations, but in order for our good God to get rid of the suffering we see, this would mean taking away our freedom of choice to love and to follow him. There had to be another way. And so this is where we pick back up that story, where this baby boy born in Bethlehem comes in. God didn't want to see his children suffer or live in eternal separation from them, so he sent his son Jesus to come to earth to live and to walk amongst us fully God and fully man. Jesus was the only truly good and perfect person to ever live, but yet he took upon himself the punishment of sin for all mankind. He died and he rose again to defeat death and win the victory over sin. So when we choose to follow Jesus, we have the hope of knowing that one day Jesus will return to bring justice and peace to our broken world. He made a way to restore our relationship with God. But until then... We live in a fallen world that is not as God intended or as he originally created. Unfortunately, suffering occurs for what the world would say are good and bad people. Bad things do happen, and quite frankly, life isn't fair. Yes, God can and does protect his people from the evil of this world, but he gives no guarantee that he will always do so. For reasons we will never understand, and God only knows, sometimes he allows bad things to happen to his much-loved people. We must not forget, though, and hold on to hope that although our world at this stage is not designed to prevent suffering, Jesus has promised to return, and when he does, he will eradicate suffering and judge evil, and so we live in this tension of the now but not yet kingdom. God is here, and he is with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, but he is not here in fullness yet. The kingdom of heaven has yet to fully arrive on earth. So that wraps up the first thing I wanted to look at. If God is sovereign, why is there suffering? So I hope you're all doing okay out there, and I hope I've left you in an okay place with that one. The second thing that I wanted to look at is how the sovereign God beautifully and intentionally weaves and writes the story of humanity. As we talked about earlier, the passage we read today, we see Joseph having a divine encounter with an angel in a dream, not once, not twice, but three times, Each time he gets up and obeys the Lord's instructions, leading his little family to safety. There are also three prophecies fulfilled in this passage. And during this time, Jesus has lived in multiple places before finding home in Nazareth. And this is all happening as Jesus is an infant, a toddler at most. If there's one thing that's clear as we read this is that there is nothing and no one that can stop God's plan for his son. There is not one moment in Jesus' life that has not been orchestrated or actively has God's hand on it. And what I think is so beautiful about this passage is that it so clearly shows God's intentionality as he writes the story of scripture, but also the narrative of humanity. And I won't go into the prophecies that Matthew talks about in this passage. You can have a read of those in your own time if you wish. But I just wanted you to get you to consider the wonder and the majesty of the story that God has been writing for humanity. 
As we've talked about already, God made a beautiful and precious world filled with extraordinary creations. Then things got a little bit messy as those first people rebelled against God and this created a downwards trajectory of evil as sin entered the world. The next chapter of the human story shows God trying to right the wrongs and lead the people he had made, but time after time they failed him. Eventually, after much silence from God, this precious baby entered the scene, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace and Lord of Lords. And God used his earthly parents in those early years to steward this gift of the Saviour so well and take care of this baby. The faith of these two is incredible, and their obedience to God is something I think we can all learn a lot from. Imagine had Mary not been willing, or had Joseph not got up and left for Egypt with his family that night. From here, as this baby boy grew up in this humble town of Nazareth, he came to do what Abraham, what Moses, and what the people of Israel could not. He righted the wrongs of all mankind and freed us from being slaves to sin so that we could have relationship with God. The story of humanity might seem like a mess to us, but to God it is one beautiful, imperfectly perfect masterpiece. Matthew invites us to look back on what has been so that we can look forward with anticipation of what is to come. Nothing happens by coincidence with our sovereign God. So we've talked about suffering, and we've seen the beauty of how God is writing the story of humanity, but where does this leave you and me? Though Christmas is a beautiful and joyful time, I know it also can be hard for a lot of, men a lot of different reasons. And so firstly, I wanted to remind you and encourage you that because God is sovereign, he can bring good out of bad. He is a redeeming God. Often at the start of the year, God will give me either a verse or a word, and this verse or word will tend to pop up in different places throughout the year. And this year, my verse was James 1, verses 2 to 4, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." And as I was thinking about that verse again in relation to today's topic, I stumbled upon this quote, which ties in so beautifully. And it says, Maybe it is not that we have received a bad thing, but that the bad thing has produced all of these very good things. The sickness producing compassion, the job loss, courage, the disability, humility, the broken friendship, clarity, the failed dream, resilience, the death of a loved one, the hope of heaven. You do not have to be grateful for the bad thing, but can you see the ways it has been redeemed and resurrected into the very good things? All of those lost pieces of your life reshaping and growing you, a mysterious exchange of grief for glory. How beautiful is that? My prayer today is that if you are sitting or walking through something heavy, that you would have courage and have hope to be able to count it all joy. Not because we're happy about the bad things that may come in our lives, but we have joy because of what Jesus is faithful to produce in us in these seasons. Next, I want to leave you with this. If you can't remember anything from this message but the title, then hopefully this will jog your memory. Sometimes when I look at statements of God's character, I like to switch around where I place the emphasis, as I feel like it can help us grasp a deeper meaning. And I'll show you what I mean. So today we've been looking at the idea that God is sovereign. So if you place the emphasis on the first word there, God is sovereign. May this remind you that it is the Lord God Almighty who is in control of all things, not us. Praise the Lord. So let God be God. Trust him. Release control of your life to him. He's got you. If you place it in the second word there, God is sovereign. 
current tense. He wasn't just sovereign for the people we read about in the Bible or only sovereign last year when everything in your life was going well. No, he is sovereign now and he will forever be. And lastly, God is sovereign. He has all authority, complete control and answers to no one. A lady named Margaret Clarkson put it well when she said, the sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him, and evil cannot touch his children unless he permits it. God is the Lord of human history and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. And lastly, I would be remiss if through all this chat about God's sovereignty, I didn't point you to the cross. If you find yourself wrestling with this tension of suffering and sovereignty, then I invite you to come to the cross. If you find yourself questioning why God allows evil to happen to his people, then come and see what he did to his son. Through the cross, through what Christ did on Calvary, we have all the answers we need. It may not explain the why for our suffering, but it invites us to trust that God is bigger and is greater than we are and to look forward with this anticipation to his coming kingdom. It brings great freedom because it means we don't need to understand God or what he is doing to know him and love him and give him our trust. No matter what comes, we can trust God's wisdom knowing that he has ultimately won the victory. In times of uncertainty, we can take refuge in the knowledge that God is in control. We can trust him to work all things together for our good and for his glory, even when circumstances seem insurmountable. I invite you today to trust Jesus. I can't promise that life with him will be easy or perfect by any means, but I can promise you that he will never leave you or forsake you and that he is sovereign over all. As I was prepping for this message, this song by Brooke Lidgerwood stood out quite profoundly, and so we're going to have a listen to it now. And so I invite you as it plays to either close your eyes or to watch the words they come up on the screen. But wherever you find yourself on your journey with God, be it in a sweet season of life or in the suffering, um, I want you to take great comfort and joy in knowing that heaven has come to earth, and because of this, Calvary is enough. Resolve to know nothing but you crucified. Somehow in this room right now, it is unknown. The weight of the world, too much for the souls of men. But somehow you hold it all upon the cross. Sealed and ratified You knew the cost 
Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.